not the way we normally start a We Tackle Life podcast, but I thought that's a cool way to start a trending toward Christmas We Tackle Life podcast. Hope you enjoy it. It's Pentatonics. It's a group that I really like. We'll take down our uh, acapella intro and dig on in to a cornucopia of football and basketball content as we begin what is now a Tuesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Honestly, I did this podcast yesterday, but I did it in a different studio, and I had the level set too high. And rather than put you through 30 minutes of cracking microphone, I decided I would do it again. And so it'll be better the second time around. Trust me on that, because we now have a little bit more perspective on the future of Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hmm, very interesting. But first... I want to shout out my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. They are the attorney firm of choice. Willis Spangler Starling, located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. They are just a little bit north of Home Depot and Target, but they are certainly an attorney firm you need to know about, a name you need to remember, willisattorneys.com. They can handle all your major needs when it comes to protecting your legal rights in terms of pressing an action or having an action pressed against you, whether it's employment law, social security disability, personal injury, wills estate planning, probate, you name it, they can do it. They're expanding, they're growing, they're growing because they're good. And they're good because they understand that every case is somebody's Super Bowl. And you want to win your Super Bowl in life, not just on the football field. You need an attorney firm that takes it seriously. I promise you that will be Stan, Kelly, Phil, and all the great partners at Willis, Spangler, Starling, and their associates. So check them out. And remember them the next time you need an attorney, willisattorneys.com. Willis Spangler Starling Twitter site is at Spangler Willis. Okay, let's start with Ohio State football. C.J. Stroud does not win the Heisman. He finishes fourth. Bryce Young wins the Heisman. He is now at least the next guy who's got a chance to match Archie Griffin as the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner. I asked Arch one time, Arch, how's it going to feel if there's another two-time Heisman Trophy winner? And he said, Bruce, in his typical humble uh, Archie way, Said, Bruce, I'll always be the first two-time Heisman Trophy winner. He's right about that. I don't know if Bryce Young will win the Heisman. There have been many other guys who've had that chance. None of them have. Billy Sims, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, to name a few. There have been many. And there will be many more because now we are trending toward an era where guys win the Heisman younger. Bryce Young's a freshman. But guys leave school earlier. So we'll see. Bryce Young had a great year for Alabama. It was not a great year for Heisman candidates. The fact that Aiden Hutchinson jumped up and finished second. It's not a commentary on Aiden Hutchinson. It's the fact that Aiden Hutchinson's candidacy was largely a factor of his last two games, Ohio State and Iowa. If he didn't have three sacks against Ohio State and Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt didn't hype him up, he would not have been in people's field of vision for the Big Ten title game, and he played well against Iowa too, and that helped him. Bryce Young unquestionably was helped by the fact that he led Alabama to a win over Georgia. And that gave him his Heisman moment. C.J. Stroud, had he had a phenomenal game against Michigan, quite possibly might have won the Heisman. C.J. Stroud will be a candidate next year, but there will be other candidates who will hop forward. And now C.J. Stroud can focus on getting ready for Utah in the Rose Bowl, and that will be a load because Utah is very happy to be there. They are not the least bit disappointed that they are in the Rose Bowl. Ohio State's players have grown accustomed to being in the playoff. If you're a junior on this team, you've known nothing but college football playoff. I don't know if the Rose Bowl will treat and feat 
the players to the kind of experience that they got at a playoff game. It's very possible that they'll get out there and they'll be like, well, this is lame. Could that play into their excitement about being there? Maybe. So I think they'll be told a million times that, hey, Utah really wants to be here, really wants to win. you got to finish this off strong. You don't want to end the year with two consecutive losses. Still, human nature takes over. So I think it's a very tough motivational challenge for Ryan Day. The only thing I can equate it to is uh, back during Urban Meyer's second season when the Buckeyes went into the Big Ten title game expecting to beat Michigan State and play for the national championship. Then they were upset by the Spartans, and then they went to the Orange Bowl to play Clemson, and Clemson was very, very happy to be there, and Ohio State was like, eh. Bradley Roby sat out the game. Sammy Watkins, I was going to say ran wild. He ran and caught wild. He had 16, was it 16 or 18 catches, little quick swing passes that he turned into yardage, and Ohio State lost the game to Clemson. They lost for the first time under Urban Meyer to Michigan State and then lost two in a row. So could that happen to Ryan Day? Would be his first two-game losing streak. Uh, Bears watching. Bears watching. We'll see. Plus the other thing, the Buckeyes will be subjected to an indoor mask mandate as Los Angeles County has reinstituted an indoor mask mandate because of, what, 18 cases of the Omicron virus that have been found in California. I will make no political commentary on that, assuming my laughter is not already a political commentary. But at any rate, uh, the Buckeyes will have to wear masks out there, not just face masks. Okay, so uh, that is where we stand. Uh, We have two of the four quarterbacks who have transferred. Kyle McCord is apparently going to stay. Ohio State has an incoming recruit from Utah by way of Arizona. He was coached by Joe Germain in high school. Joe's a good friend of mine. Joe raves about this kid. C.J. Stroud's going to be the quarterback next year. I think Kyle McCord has shown amazing patience. Uh, thought he might head for, I don't know, Penn State or someplace, Pitt, Kenny Pickett, fellow Heisman finalist with C.J. Stroud. Uh, Kenny Pickett is uh, headed to the NFL. I thought maybe, hey, Kyle McCord, hop right in there to the opening at Pitt. But Kyle McCord says he will stay. He's no doubt counting on C.J. Stroud going to the NFL after next season, which will be his third season out of high school. We shall see what we shall see. We still wait, too, to find out if Garrett Wilson Chris Olave, other Buckeyes who are headed to the NFL, Tyreek Smith, are going to play in the Rose Bowl. We would assume they would. Nobody's ever thought about Buckeye players skipping a Rose Bowl, but hey, they skipped the Orange Bowl, the aforementioned Bradley Roby. They skipped the Cotton Bowl. Denzel Ward didn't hurt him. He was picked, what, third or fourth in the draft by the Browns? So I think it's inarguable to say that skipping a bowl game affects your draft status. I would look at a player differently if they tapped out on their teammates and did not play in a bowl game. But NFL types don't. NFL types are not wrapped up in the kind of emotional investment in players and schools like you or I are as fans. They are looking at it as a cold calculation. Is he hurt? Is he healthy? Can he help us? Then let's draft him. And so I do not expect Garrett Wilson to play in the Rose Bowl. I do expect Chris Olave to play because I think Chris Olave, being from California, will not want to bypass the chance to go out with a bang in front of what I'm sure will be many family and friends at that game against Utah. January 1st, beside the San Gabriel Mountains, I have been to, how many Rose Bowls have I been to? I've been to uh, Michigan USC 
I've been to Ohio State, Arizona State. I've been to Wisconsin, UCLA. I've been to Ohio State, UCLA regular season game. I've been to Michigan, UCLA regular season game. So I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to the Super Bowl. Broncos and Giants. John Elway against, uh, I believe that was, was that Phil Sims or I was Phil Sims? That was the Giants' first Super Bowl win. So I have been to the Rose Bowl a fair amount of times in my life, and I have been to many other stadiums in my life, and I can flat tell you there is no football game anywhere that compares to the beauty of the Rose Bowl as the sun sets in the West. None. Nowhere. And the sun will set. Starts at 2 o'clock Cali time, but it ends about 6 o'clock Cali time, and it is an unbelievable setting. So hopefully Ohio State plays well, and hopefully they build on the Rose Bowl victory that they had a few years ago in Urban Meyer's farewell. Now, if you would like to say farewell to bad health insurance, the people who can help you do that are my friends at auiinfo.com. auiinfo.com is a free service. I'm glad I mentioned that up front because I tend to bury the lead because I have so many other aspects of AUI that I want to extol and esteem their friendliness, their analysis, their ability to clearly and concisely explain things. I forget too often that y'all think, oh, there must be a cost. Somebody who's that good must really, really charge a lot of money. Well, I don't know what they charge, and it's irrelevant what they charge because they don't charge you. They charge the insurance companies that you select to subscribe to their insurance plans. You pick those companies from the candidates AUI tells you about. They are not invested in any one company over another. They're not going to advantage one company over another. They are going to give you a completely nonpartisan view of all the costs. So you'll evaluate hmm, hospital, copay, doctor, benefits. I'm going to go with this plan. And then whoever you pick will pay AUI. So that's how that works. Use them. Open enrollment ends December the 15th, which is very possibly today, if you're not listening to this, on Tuesday, December the 14th, that I released it. But don't worry, AUI will get with you tonight on their chat feature at auiinfo.com. It's not too late. Do it, because if you don't, you might be paying for something you think you're getting, but you're not getting. auiinfo.com. Speaking of paying for something you think you're not getting. The Jacksonville Jaguars are weighing whether to retain Urban Meyer as head football coach. Boy, there has been a season-long effort to impugn Urban Meyer as an NFL coach. Now, I know he's with the Jags, and I know the Jags aren't very good, and they've won only two games, and I get it. But still, uh, the scrutiny on Urban has been... Uh, I think, excessive. He's a elite college coach, one of the best five or so of all time. Let's see how this guy can do it. I don't think that's why the scrutiny has been great on Urban Meyer. I think the scrutiny has been great on Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer made a lot of enemies as a successful college coach. And so the people who cover these teams thought it would be great fun to see Urban struggle and to write about Urban struggling and to blame Urban for his team's struggles. Now, you might recall that the Jacksonville Jaguars have not exactly been 
overwhelmingly good in the NFL for quite some time. That is why Urban is their coach, because they had to replace the coach that they had. So they got Trevor Lawrence. They got Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne tore up his knee. They struggle to run the ball. Urban does some things. Am I absolving Urban of all the problems of the Jags? No, I am not. Am I at all uh, abiding and allowing for a boys-will-be-boys approach to Urban's behavior in the Urban Chop House with the young woman who is not his wife? Of course I am not. Nevertheless, I can compartmentalize Urban's performance as a head coach and look at it in light of the fact that a lot of people who cover football don't like him. They don't like him because he's been rather abrupt throughout his career. I have always found him to be incredibly expansive with his answers and incredibly honest, and I prize that. I don't need to be treated like you know a China doll by the coach that I cover. Some guys do the weakest of the reporting uh, fraternity penalizes coaches for calling them out when they ask stupid questions or for being abrupt. I never have. I'm fine with a coach telling me he has an issue with my question. Urban's never said that to me, but I know he said it to others. And there are just people who resent success. We're in an era where people resent success. So Urban seems like every week on the NFL pregame shows, people are talking about Urban. One thing Shad Khan, the owner, can't complain about is lack of attention. I mean, he's getting more attention now than the Jags have gotten since they were good. It's not the kind of attention Shad Khan or the Jags want. So he says he's going to be patient with Urban. His quote this week was, Gus Bradley was here four years. Doug Marone was here four years. It was wins and losses, and this is a little bit different. I'm going to reflect on all of that and do what's the right thing for our team and the right thing for our city. What does he mean by saying it's a little bit different? Well, he fleshed that out for you. In the past, it was like you were, quote, the lowly Jaguars, and everyone left you alone. Now the scrutiny we have is really something different. How much of that is we're bringing it upon ourselves, or how much of it is that, how much of that is deserved? Urban, he's won wherever he was. This is something he's never dealt with, and when you win in football, you create enemies, okay? And the only way you can really deal with that is you've got to win again. So Shad Khan is right. Urban's created enemies by winning. Now, people want to kick a man when he's down. And so they have magnified the Jags' failures as if they are all Urban's failures. However, some of the Jags' failures are Urban's failures. When an NFL offense fails to get 200 yards on the ground and gets shut out, as was the case against the Tennessee Titans, the head coach is not not guilty of that, okay? He plays a role in that, maybe a big role in that. Also, there are reports that Urban has argued with players and star players, and we saw them get rid of Joe Schobert. We saw them get rid of some guys. We saw Urban say that, yeah, if you're not vaccinated, you know. I mean, Urban's a bottom-line guy. If you need to be vaccinated in order to not be watched closely by the league, then Urban doesn't care what your personal opinion is about the vaccine. All he knows is if you're not getting vaccinated, you're possibly hurting the team. If you're possibly hurting the team, he doesn't look kindly upon that. I'm not making a value judgment one way or the other. I'm telling you how Urban thinks. Also, rumored that he has argued with Marvin Jones, wide receiver. He denies it. Marvin Jones uh, denies it. They have a running back who uh, all of a sudden mysteriously stopped playing. And people can't make any sense of that. And then, of course, there are the... uh, 
reports that he has challenged his assistant coaches by saying, hey, I'm a winner. What have you guys ever won? Are you a winner or are you a loser? Now, if you know Urban, this seems perfectly plausible as something he would say. He is a guy who makes your everyday existence quite uncomfortable in an effort to draw more out of you than you deem able to produce yourself. So this may not be true. It may be true that he berated his assistants and challenged them on, what are your credentials, Pally? I would not find that to be unusual, nor would I find it to be something that uh, would be particularly productive. Because as we will discuss in the leaders, in the uh, faith portion of the podcast, leadership is not about power when it is done well. It is about something else. What is that something else? If I told you now, you could stop listening. So I'm going to make you listen to the end to find out. Okay. As for our uh, other interesting teams on the NFL side, your Browns, your Bengals, Brownies hung on and beat the Ravens on Sunday. That's a win that feels like a loss because the Ravens got the onside kick, and if not for Denzel Ward making a play at the end to get Baltimore off the field, who knows, Justin Tucker might have hit a 60-yard field goal on the final play to beat you 25-22, to or 25-24. to But as it was, the Browns uh, settled, and I do mean settled, for a 24-22 to win. Now, what's the headline coming out of that? Hey, look at the Browns! They beat the Ravens, and they're within a game of first! No, it's not the headline. The headline is, well, the Browns won because Lamar Jackson got hurt. Or, the headline is, What is Baker Mayfield talking about when he talks about, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our franchise and I've persevered through all kinds of things. Um, I don't know your guess is as good as mine. My guess is that Baker Mayfield is, you know, a little hurt because people demand a lot of, seems to me, increasingly uncomfortable with the expectations of a franchise quarterback. The on-field expectations, the off-field expectations. The on-field expectations are, you were the number one overall pick. We picked you ahead of Josh Allen. We picked you ahead of Lamar Jackson. We expect you to be better than Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. And I don't think anybody can argue, not even the most ardent Baker Mayfield apologist, and there are many, could argue that he's better than Josh Allen or better than Lamar Jackson. The other thing is, you expect your quarterback to be a leader. You expect your quarterback to have an understanding of the dynamic around him. You expect a quarterback to know that what he says has greater weight than if a backup linebacker says it. So when Baker Mayfield says after the game that there's a lot of, what was the exact verbiage uh, was going on there with the Cleveland Browns? Something like a lot of internal issues. I'm Googling it right now. We'll see if uh, something comes up here. Um, A lot of internal noise that's been tricky. If he doesn't know that's going to be the headline coming out of the game, he's a dope. He does know he doesn't care because it's more important to him to get his agenda out there. And what is his agenda? To absolve himself of whatever blame people want to assign to him for the fact that the Browns are not comfortably atop the AFC North. Do they lack anything to be above the AFC North? Do they lack good running backs? Do they lack a good line? Do they lack a good pass rush? Do they lack uh, 
investment in resources. Yeah, I mean, they've had some guys who've not been particularly up to snuff in terms of the expectations you had for him. John Johnson, chief among them, as a safety signee in the free agency ranks. But has Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa been as good as advertised? Yeah. Have they had injuries in the secondary? Yeah, but Greg Newsom's not a bust. Denzel Ward's playing well. Greedy Williams is back. They got multiple tight ends. They got multiple wideouts. Sure, they had Odell Beckham. They've exercised themselves of that diva. They've got an offensive line that every single guy is like top five at his position, if not top two. So it's no wonder people look to the quarterback and go, well, what about the quarterback? And so, yeah, I know he's injured. I don't care. If you're too injured to play, don't play. If you're injured and it's affecting your play, you make the choice to get out there, then I don't want to hear excuses. Quarterbacks always get more credit. Quarterbacks always get more blame. To me, the the X's and O's, the tangibles of Baker Mayfield are things I can work with. I can figure out how to get him out of the pocket or protect him in the pocket and use his arm strength, use his talents. I can figure that out. I'm sure Kevin Stefanski can figure that out. I can't fix a faulty mindset, a faulty outlook. And to be talking about a lot of internal noise and how it's been tricky to navigate after a win over the Ravens that gets you within a game of first place, that to me is more a reason to disengage than the other stuff that you could also amply point to as a reason to disengage. So Baker Mayfield, I've said before, I'd offer him a two-year deal at $20 million a year with a team option for a third year. That would sign him through 2023, by which time I'd have somebody else and be ready to move on, unless he showed me that I shouldn't move on. He's making $18 million now. He's going into the final year of his contract next year. Kirk Cousins is going into the final year of his contract next year, too. And a lot of people say, oh, you're crazy. They're not going to sign a 35-year-old quarterback. Well, I'm not saying they should sign Kirk Cousins, but I'm saying Kevin Stefanski worked with Kirk Cousins, and all I'm pointing out is the serendipity of Cousins becoming available as an unrestricted free agent at the same time Baker Mayfield could come available as an unrestricted free agent. Do you hear all kinds of noise out of Kirk Cousins about this, that, and the other around the organization? No, you do not. So those are the kinds of things that I think bear keeping an eye on. If I were the Brownies, I would make a big-time play for Russell Wilson in the offseason because I think Russell Wilson fits Cleveland. I don't know if Ciara wants to win, wants to, wants to live in Cleveland, but Russell Wilson is a leader's leader. Baker Mayfield, unfortunately, four years into his career, is not. Would you like a quarterback in Ohio who does personify the qualities that I treasure in a leader? Then look no further than Cincinnati. Did you see what Joe Burrow did in the fourth quarter against the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday? Say, I don't know if I saw it, Bruce, but I know the Bengals lost. Yeah, they lost. They didn't lose because of Joe Burrow. They lost because of their defense. Couldn't hold the Niners after Joe Burrow rallied the Bengals to two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, two incredible plays and throws to Jamar Chase as Nick Bosa and the 49ers were chasing Joe Burrow all over the place and making his life miserable. Joe Burrow found a way. He willed his team to a tie in a game that, had they won it, would have put the Bengals in a very good position in the AFC North. They're still not in a bad position, but they would have had a tie for first had they won that game. Okay, so that's a team that has just seen Joe Burrow do and has really all season seen Joe Burrow do what Browns fans 
continue to wait for Baker Mayfield to do, which is put the team on his back in a dire situation and deliver the results the team needs and the fans want. When the Browns win, it is most often because the defense made a play or the running game dominated or the other team turned it over. It is seldom because Baker Mayfield just flat out won the game for him. The way Tony Romo could win a game for the Dallas Cowboys, and I say that because the Browns fans who are listening to this will remember a Browns game in Dallas pre-Baker Mayfield where the Cowboys had nothing, and I mean nothing, going all day. Brandon Whedon and the Browns were winning that game, dominating that game, and Romo was just like, well, we can't lose to these guys, and he refused to allow it to happen. You've seen Aaron Rodgers do it many times. You've seen Pat Mahomes do it many times. You've seen Brady do it many times. And now you're seeing Joe Burrow do it. You've seen Justin Herbert do it with the Chargers. You saw Mac Jones do it with the Patriots against the Browns. Browns fans are not wrong to want to see that out of Baker Mayfield. And if he wants transformative quarterback money, he needs to show the Browns he can do that. He has not shown the Browns he can do that since maybe his rookie year. So Joe Burrow got it done. The Bengals' defense did not get it done. Joe Burrow is a guy that that town and that team believe in, and I don't think Cleveland has that situation going on with Baker Mayfield. Uh, I do believe strongly in the quality of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee, and I believe strongly in the mission of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. Isn't their mission to sell coffee? Sure, but their larger mission is to help ministry efforts around the world. And so Paul and his lovely wife, Grace, began Hemisphere Coffee Roasters as a company to buy coffee from growers in underprivileged, impoverished foreign countries to put money in the hands of growers in little towns in Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia, and others, so that that money could fuel the local economy, but more so that the owners of the coffee fields in those countries would plow that money back into and support ministry efforts in those areas. They don't continue to pound that in all of their advertising, but they certainly do not hide it. It is a very eloquent demonstration of how we take the things we're interested in, the things we're good at, the things we like, and use it to benefit our fellow man. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will give you 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. We tackle life in all caps. That's the name of this podcast. They will ship free orders of $30 or more, and they have pre-made or can customize gift packs in any budget for you to send to those clients of yours who you want to thank for their loyalty to you during the past year or to family members or friends who live afar from you, and you would like to have something shipped right to the door. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will do that for you. Just use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. That tells them that you heard about it on our podcast. It continues our relationship with them, and I'm very happy to represent HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com because they're great people. I don't represent jerks. I don't represent dishonest people. I represent great people. And one of my great joys in life that I discovered after I got into radio is that I love interacting with successful people who've had vision and purpose and mission and incorporated into every aspect of their life. That's true of Stan Willis and his wife and the partners at Willis Spangler Starling. That's true of Paul and Grace 
at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. It's definitely true of Steve and Chrissy at AUI. If you're someone that I represent, you're someone that represents my values. And so I highly recommend those three sponsors to you. And I thank them for their support of the We Tackle Life podcast, of course. But more importantly, I thank them for prioritizing their faith and service in all that they do. And that brings me to the faith portion of the podcast, which is about service. See, I thought it was about leadership. It is about both because they are the same thing. Many of you know that I do a talk show, a news talk show on 98.9 The Answer in Columbus. We talk a lot about politics. We talk a lot about culture. As I was in my red chair this morning, and sometime I'm going to have to write a book or something about mornings in my red chair, because that's where I um, pause, silence myself before God, seek his counsel, seek his insight, seek his perspective. And I have an array of books that I read, none more consequential, of course, than the Bible. But I find that the themes in the books interact, intersect often around biblical truth. So today I was thinking about our country and thinking about what I would say today on my show. And I was struck by a quote that I read in a book called Jumper Cables for the Mind, a collection of modern day proverbs by a gentleman who I believe is from Ohio named Don Howe, H-O-W-E. Don Howe in his book quotes former President George H.W. Bush, the older Bush, saying this, We are given power to help people, not to advance our own purposes, not to make a great show or a great name in the world. There is one just use of power, and it is to serve people. Notice in that final sentence from George H.W. Bush, he did not say, There is just one use of power, because that's not true. There are many uses of power. We see power used in many ways in our country and around the world. Some of them are not good for people. Some of them are selfish. Some of them are evil. Some of them are erroneous. No, instead, George H.W. Bush said, not there is just one use of power. He said there is one just use of power in order In other words, there's only one proper way to use power, and it is to serve people. And I reflected on that, and I thought, that is a biblical attitude that he just expressed, that there is one just use of power, and it is to serve people, because leadership is about service. Those who have positions of leadership have power, those who have power and use it for their personal gain are really bad leaders. And we have over a course of time, not one particular administration nor another, but over a course of time, we have advanced to a point in our country where we are beginning to become obviously, clearly, and sadly victimized by a prolonged period of bad leadership. And why is that? Because we have been subjected to a prolonged period of leaders who have 
viewed leadership as power, which they could use, leverage, employ to serve themselves. The greatest leader of all time, it's inarguable, was Jesus Christ. You can say, I don't believe in Jesus. Okay, you don't believe in Jesus. Well, do you believe in Genghis Khan? Do you believe in Michelangelo? Do you believe in Socrates? Do you believe in Plato? Do you believe they existed? Do you believe they were historical figures? I mean, let's just look at Jesus Christ in that term. Was he a person who lived on earth? Of course. Of course he was. Okay. So just view him that way for just a second, if you're an unbeliever. I still argue, and I still believe you have to agree that Jesus Christ as a historical figure was the greatest leader of all time. Was our world impacted today by his ministry, his gospel, his thoughts, his manifesto, whatever word you want to put on it? I mean, how do you say no to that? How many churches does he have who follow him? What's his impact been? He recruited 12 fishermen, tent makers, carpenters, tax collectors, and others to be his right-hand men. And from their work, from following him and his teaching, our world today is completely affected the fingers of his ministry and treat into all aspects of our society. It is inarguable that Jesus Christ is the greatest leader of all time. His company brought to market a product, the gospel, that has radically changed the world. So just like we would do with any leader, we study their methods of success. And when you study the methods of success of Jesus Christ, how he has been able to multiply his purpose, his motivation, his methods, how has he been able to do that? Well, what better way to find that out than to read his own words about how to do that? So in the book of Matthew, which again, you don't have to like think of the Bible as some mystical thing. Think of it as a historical record of Jesus' life, which it unquestionably is, in Matthew chapter 20, an account is given of a very human interaction between Jesus and a couple of his disciples. And it starts with an interaction with James and John's mother. Now, James and John were disciples of Jesus. They were among the 12. And their mom, like all moms, wanted her sons to come out on top. And so she asked Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, when you take over, (laughs) I would love it if you would put one of my sons on your right and one of my sons on your left. When you're sitting in heaven or when you're conquering the world, whatever, just could you have like one of my sons on your right, one of my sons on your left. In other words, I want them to be right there and access to the power. And the other disciples heard this conversation. And the other disciples in a very human reaction were not happy about this conversation. And I'm sure they were like, who do these yokels think they are, James and John? Like, what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? Right? They're all looking at it from selfish perspective. And Jesus hears this going on, this conversation, and he explains to them that their 
viewpoint, their objective, what they're envisioning, their reward for following him to be is flawed. And he says to them the following. The rulers of the Gentiles, in other words, the Gentiles were people who weren't Jews. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Everybody is either one or the other, a Jew or a Gentile. And Jesus says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Sound familiar? Is that how it is now? Who's got the power? They lord it over you. Who's got the power? You submit to them. Same then. World hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. Back to Jesus and his message to his disciples. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the high officials exercised authority over them. But not so with you. In other words, don't be like that. And here comes the lesson. Jesus is going to tell them, this is how it's supposed to be with you. Don't do what they're doing. Do this. Whoever wants to become great among you, remember, they want to sit on the right and the left. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man, that's him, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he was telling them, look, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. I'm humble. I'm lowly in spirit. I'm not conceited. I'm not arrogant. I'm not forcing my will on people. I put it out there who I am, and if they want to follow, great. And if they don't, I can't force them. I shake the dust off my feet. I move on to the next person. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I can go into the theological aspects of what that means, giving his life as a ransom for many. I've done it many times. That's the essence of the gospel. But here... If we're talking about leadership, Jesus is saying you can't be a good leader if you're not going to serve others, if you're not going to put them ahead of yourself. So to me, it's no wonder that we suffer now as a country because we have been served by people who don't serve. And why do they not serve? Well, they're not subscribing to Jesus's approach to life because many of them are not followers of Christ. Many of them have not looked in his holy word and seen the attitudes they're supposed to adopt, the attitudes, the practices they're supposed to convey. They've not put his words into action. In another place in the Bible, he says to them, you know, if, if you follow my words, then you're my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what has to happen first? got to put his words into practice. you got to follow his playbook. Okay? So this is the crux of why we struggle as a country. This is the crux of why companies struggle, because the guy who leads or the woman who leads is in there for the salary or in there for the power or in there for the perks, not in there to serve others. And that's hard to take because I would love our country to excel. I would love our country to be a place where everyone can recognize their dreams. Everyone can be 
helped toward becoming the best that they can be. We have equated all that with taking more and more and more, getting more and more, achieving more and more. And Jesus said, it's not about that. It's about giving up your agenda and putting the other person's agenda ahead of your own. Now, of course, that other person's agenda has to fit within the parameters of how Jesus said to live. Somebody else's parameters are to go around raping women or uh, sexually abusing children or something like that. Of course, you're not going to put that agenda first. But that's just another reason that underscores another reason to be in the Word of God to find out, okay, this is how you tell me, if this is what you say I have to do, I have to serve others, then what are the other instructions in the book that tell me how to serve others? You'll find it all between the pages of your Bible. If you haven't cracked it open, well, you're flying through a very dangerous world in a very, very blind way. So that is uh, the faith portion of the podcast today. That is the Monday podcast recorded on Tuesday because this time I got the levels right. <laughs> and I'm just going to trust that the timing of God in having it land on you is also perfect because he doesn't make mistakes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this blesses you. Love to hear from you. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. Remember to patronize those sponsors and enjoy a little pentatonics as we transition out.